The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is The Customer Edge with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo, provide a phenomenal customer experience, and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, you're in the right place. Today's buzz, marketing technology. Never heard those words put together in the same phrase? Well, you will today. Let's start. Consumers are leading your business into a brave new world. How? They expect consistent and seamless engagement across every channel. You know where they are. They're in the store. They are online. They are on a mobile. They are on the phone. Everywhere they find you, omni-channel we call it, it's their choice. You'd better be ready. You'd better be there. You'd better have your branding intact, your customer service intact. It's a big job today being where customers want to find you. But beyond merely developing what we call adaptive customer engagement strategies, the smart Smart marketers today are realizing that they need an integrated marketing technology foundation. So the question on the table is, does your organization have one yet? Do you even know what that is? Are you thinking, oh no, more money, more hiring, more expense, more training. What do we need that for? Well, we have a panel of experts who are going to help us figure this out and you'll come away with some great information. So our topic today is how to build a marketing technology strategy. Thank you for joining us. We've got a great panel, and let's get started. Our first guest is Michael Darvish. He's the founder and managing director of Bridge 22. And Michael sent me the following interesting quote from Henry James's Turn of the Screw, going way back. And the quote is, All roads lead to Rome. And there were times when it might have struck us that almost every branch of study or subject of conversation skirted forbidden ground. Ooh, that sounds so ominous. Michael Darvish, how are you today? Hi, Bonnie. How are you? Wonderful. Thanks for joining me. Interesting quote. Tell me, are you a Henry James fan, or how does this quote relate to our very modern topic? <laughs> well, you know, Henry James, actually, he's writing, what, in, in the 1890s? And uh, he wrote that book, and it was about a governess and, and taking place, let's say, in the 1840s, and she was thinking about her students who were uh, kind of haunted by these spirits, by these ghosts. And it was really, I think, all about um, uh, the innocent and the change that was happening around them and, and maybe even uh, some, of the, some of the corruption of the innocent. And, you know, I thought, what a metaphor, because we're in a moment in time here where we have marketing that's been happening in the old world, or I should say the analog world. We've got it now in the digital world. And these two worlds have been separate for a long time, like the people and like the ghosts. And all of a sudden now these two things are coming together. And uh, it just feels to me like Henry James was ahead of his time. 
I think he was. How do you think Henry James would feel if he knew he was being cited and quoted with honor on a radio show called The Customer Edge with Game Changers in 2014? Michael, what do you think he would say? <laughs> well, you know, isn't that great, you know, when you have good literature and how it keeps performing, um, you know, decade after get or century after century? You know, I, I think, think that... Yeah, go ahead. I think so much of, of uh, what he was trying to say was that all these digital technologies... Um, have been coming from uh, separate places, you know, where where some of them have been created by ad agencies and others have been created by by ad networks, which are a completely different thing. And some of them were, com- were created by the uh, enterprise uh, software companies and some by systems integrators and uh, and even maybe social media companies. And all of a sudden, they're all coming into the middle. They're all trying hard to be multi-channel marketing companies. And uh, they're trying to reach consumers and to understand who those consumers are and to, and to create a message that is relevant to the context of where that consumer is, both on the channel that they're on, but also kind of what they've been doing in their real lives, you know, in the days or weeks or even in, uh, in their lives as a whole. Thank you, Michael. Do you, do you think this concept is scary for companies that, let, let's say, mid-sized companies or, or, well, startups probably get it from the get-go. I'm going to venture that and go out on a limb here. But do you think that established companies are saying they're listening and they're scratching their heads and saying marketing technology strategy? What is that? Do you think they get it? Do you think they're doing it? Any overview before I move to the next panelist? You know, I think in the big picture, people look at the media itself and they say, oh, I'll I'll send out some touch, some communication to a consumer. Maybe it's an email. It used to be a piece of direct mail. Then it's, you know, perhaps an ad in in a video today. And I don't think people are really thinking about how hard it is to put those pieces into place um, and to network them together and to actually get it right so that you get the message right to the consumer. It makes sense and the consumer pays attention to it. And also so that the, that the numbers work, so that the money works right, because it is expensive to, uh, to, to reach out to all these consumers um, and to get, get them to buy things. Thank you, Michael. So we're looking to get away from the what we might call the piecework approach to the overview to the big picture integrated approach. Thank you. Great start to the conversation. I'm going to welcome our second panelist. I believe he's a returning guest. Looks very familiar to me. It's David Rabb. He's an industry analyst and author of the Guide to Demand Generation Systems, as well as other books. And David sent me an interesting quote from the film The Core, C-O-R-E. I'm going to read it. It has two parts, two speakers. If you're a core fan, this will make sense. If not, David will graciously explain it when he comes on. So first we have Dr. Conrad Zimsky, and the quote is, Static discharges in the atmosphere will create superstorms with hundreds of lightning strikes per square mile. And then Dr. Josh Key says, after that, it gets bad. I want to smile, but I'm not sure what I'm smiling at. Am I? Is this a funny quote or is this prophetic? David Rabb, welcome. How are you today? I'm fine, Bonnie, and thanks for having me back. The, the core is one of those so bad it's good science fiction movies that uh, <laughs> my teenage boy kids uh, introduced me to, and I just want to know that I've diligently prepared and rewatched the whole movie last night just uh, for you. <laughs> and the Thank context you. of that quote is they're trying to convince uh, the government agency that there are some serious problems. The Earth's core stops spinning is sort of the mechanism of the movie. Uh, the reason that's relevant here is that there's that sort of super-duper panic that uh, about technology is, you know, the world is coming to an end because of these technology problems that these guys are talking about. And that's uh, kind of very often what we face in the marketing world. And 
uh, as in, well, in the core, actually, it's a serious problem. The world is, in fact, coming to an end. But in the marketing world, you know, sometimes you get a little overexcited. You're probably not going to be struck by, you know, hundreds of lightning bolts uh, per square mile here. So although it's very important to companies that they do plunge ahead and, and build new technology and they do keep up with their clients, I think it's also important for marketers to pull back just a little bit from the kind of panic that, that we so often see them uh, facing or perhaps see uh, people proposing that they feel. Interesting, David. Thank you for that uh, overview. I want to ask you the same question, a similar question I asked Michael Darvish. Do you think people get it? Do they know they need a marketing technology strategy? Which companies do you think are in the dark where the lightning hasn't struck yet and illuminated their vision? What what industries, are there any industries, can we generalize? Who is doing a, okay, we'll add an email touch point. Okay, we'll go on Twitter for a month and try that. Who is doing it that way and who really gets it right? David? Well, there certainly are some industries that are doing a better job. I think financial services, some of the travel industries, where they do have a lot of different ways to communicate with customers. A lot of the online e-commerce people are very, very aware of the fact that their customers are uh, communicating or reaching them through different channels, and, and they want to make sure that they coordinate those treatments very well. Uh, we see some other industries, actually a lot of business marketers, still haven't quite gotten their head around this, and they're still kind of doing things a little bit more the old-fashioned way. Uh, and, you know, they definitely are uh, hurting themselves. There's no question that you do need to meet your customers' expectations. Okay, thank you very much, David Rabb. And joining us also was a returning guest. It's Bernard Chung at SAP. And here's a quote from David Packard. Those of you wondering, well, of course it sounds familiar. He was a co-founder with William Hewitt of Hewlett-Packard. Ta-da! He was also the U.S. Deputy Secretary of Defense from 1969 to 71 during the Nixon administration. Here's the quote. Marketing is too important to be left to the marketing department. OMG, Bernard Chung. What a quote. How are you today? I'm doing fine. Um, um, thank you for having me back. We're delighted to have you. So talk to me. Interesting quote from Packard. Was he serious or was he just joking? Well, he said this many decades ago, uh, obviously. And I think, um, you know, it's more true today, today than than ever. Um, and I, I, I just brought this because I'm a marketer as well, right? But I think it just elevates two, two points of discussions in, in my mind. Um, number one is... You know, what, what really is a definition in the scope of marketing? Because, um, you know, as, as I go out and speak to many marketing organizations and marketers themselves, you know, a lot, a lot of them don't, you know, have their own definition of what they do and define as, as marketing, right? So I think um, it's a healthy discussion of what, what, what it should be and what, um, what they should be doing in the future as well. And also... I think it also increases uh, um, the reality that marketers today have a, a bigger opportunity. Um, like you said, mm-hmm. as an introduction to this uh, show, customers are changing, and customers are having higher expectations, and um, they expect more um, from uh, businesses and companies that they do um, inter- interact and do business with. So I think... Um, you know, marketers have an opportunity to really step up and to really think about how do we best uh, connect and engage with customers across multiple channels throughout the entire uh, customer journey. So 
So I think the quote was uh, interesting, provocative, especially to marketers uh, like myself mm-hmm. uh, to mm-hmm. think about, you know, what is marketing and what should, what's the role of marketing, especially given the current uh, uh, empowered customers that we all face today. Thank you, Bernard. I'm going to venture out on another limb here. I don't think there's a marketing department around who wouldn't say we have a strategy. We have a marketing strategy, but the insertion of the word technology could be very daunting. I'll ask you the same question I asked Michael Darvish and David Rabb. Do you see some companies getting it more effectively than others? And which end of the the, uh, maturity range would that be on, Bernard? Would it be the bigger companies that say, yeah, let's do it. Let's do everything and let's put it on paper or put it on a spreadsheet and get it all done? Or would it be the startup saying, yeah, we get the whole thing. We're going to do it right from the beginning. What do you see? I think um, it's really difficult to uh, classify by size of the organization. And, and just look at it. I, this is how I see it. I think most marketers and most uh, executives understand the value of having an integrated marketing uh, platform and, and, and strategies for it so that and the purpose, like you said, was to better engage customers through multiple channels and through, through the entire uh, customer journey. But I think uh, where a lot of them get stuck is how do you actually execute on it? How do you actually make it work? And there are several challenges I think we'll discuss in, uh, throughout this call from the other guests as well. But I think um, there's a lot to do with um, you know the legacy systems that they may have or mm-hmm. skills and uh, processes and affinities to you know um, you know existing technologies or solutions that they have and, and lack of understanding new technologies that's kind of bogging up uh, the progress or development or the execution of these strategies that um, people might be coming up with that's that's what I see. Thank you very much. Yes, we have a lot to cover, but before we go to our break, well, Michael may not know this because he's a newbie to our show, but David and Bernard do. I'm going to ask you what's in your cup today. I'd love a little storytelling from each of you. Anything interesting you're drinking now, Michael Darvish? First of all, where are you calling from? What time of day is it? If you're drinking something interesting, great. If not, what do you wish you were drinking after the show? Your turn. Go ahead. Sure. It's about 3.15. I'm in New York. I grew up in Massachusetts. And uh, when I was a kid, we used to drink Moxie. And um, Moxie, Moxie is kind of one of the early, early forerunners of the uh, Coca-Cola phase, uh, rage. And uh, the funny story, I guess, is that Moxie, which, by the way, is an expression these days. It means, um, you know, if mm-hmm. someone has a lot of Moxie in them, it means they've got a lot of gumption, a lot of energy, a lot of, chutzpah, a lot of, a lot chutzpah. of crazy ideas. Right. And uh, I started a company years ago, uh, an email marketing company. It was uh, fairly successful, uh, and it was full of kids, young kids. And I used to bring in the bottles of Moxie, and they would drink this stuff, and they would laugh because kind of laughing at me in some ways because they, you know, they thought, here's an old guy bringing an old drink. And, uh, and I thought it was a great metaphor because these guys were, you know, youngsters who were trying to understand the, the roots of the world, you know, the history, old meets new, local startup. You know, all that kind of stuff. Very, very uh, kind of tongue-in-cheek. 
Very interesting. I'm reading on Wikipedia. I think I vaguely remember Moxie. Moxie is a carbonated beverage, an early example of mass-produced soft drinks in the U.S. It says here, Michael, it continues to be regionally popular today. It's not as sweet as most modern soft drinks and is described by some as bitter. And you mentioned it's from an old, it's old time. Well, I don't know if you know this, but Moxie was first introduced in 1876. How about that, Michael? Yep, old Eight- meets new. Wow, and they discontinued the cherry cola, the cream soda, and the orange cream soda, uh, and it has all kinds of variants. Interesting, and, and the logo is a red background with a guy with really slick hair, great head of hair, and he's pointing almost like Uncle Sam, and it says Moxie, and the word that some of us in New York, I'm in New York too, use Michael, for Moxie is chutzpah, but you know what, probably know what that means because I certainly do, so let's move on. <laughs> David Rabb, what are you drinking today? Well, I'm drinking my usual freeze-dried coffee, which I must say is about the most unremarkable drink in the universe. Uh, We did just open up the cabinet the other day and throw out the decaf freeze-dried coffee, which we realized had been there since 2001. We decided that was (laughs) probably past its... uh, sell-by date, so it's uh, yeah, think? Not, not unlike Moxie, <laughs> it's something of a, a niche product. I don't think too many people really drink this stuff other than me, but it's extremely convenient, I will say. Uh, like anything else, you get used to it, and we can make some analogies to, uh, there to marketing as well, right? You're, you do what you're used to doing, and sometimes you, know, you have to throw it out and make a change. That's true. What does it taste like these days? Do you, have you ever compared it? Do you ever treat yourself to something real like a Starbucks or, or a local cafe fresh brewed drink? David, do you have a comparison or are you still going to stick with the freeze dried because it's there? Well, I do have a comparison. I, you know, I, I, really good coffee. I do like uh, the Starbucks. We could have a separate debate on whether that qualifies as really good coffee or not. That's but, fair. Uh, you know, proper coffee with, with a very rich and not quite as bitter as some of the commercial coffees uh, will definitely beat the freeze dry any day of the week. There you go. Thank you for that product review. We appreciate it. Bernard Chung, I can't ask you to top those stories, but if you want to, go ahead, give it a try. <laughs> I'm not sure I can, but, um, you know, I don't usually go to Starbucks in the morning, but this morning I did, and um, and I'm in Palo Alto, California, so it's a little past uh, noon, so this is definitely in the morning earlier today, and I haven't been in in that particular store for a while, but I realize they're all decked out, and I'm, I presume that uh, all the Starbucks nationwide are already in, in, in the holiday mode, and uh, it just dawned on me, like... Thanksgiving is just almost a week away, and then you know you know what happens right after Thanksgiving is uh, mad uh, rush to fill the uh, shopping uh, you know Christmas uh, gift list. So I say, holy cow, the <laughs> holidays are upon us, and uh, they are. so I I kind of treated myself to a peppermint mocha just to get myself in the mood and start thinking about. You know, uh, you know, among other things, some of the, uh, you know, the holiday stuff that needs to happen. So that's what I drank this morning. I think that's great. I had a feeling you were going to say peppermint. I don't know why I said it before you did. So maybe I'm omniscient today or prescient or something like that. Uh-huh. Anyway, that sounds really good. But uh, I I think that David may remember this in Bernard. They don't let Bonnie have caffeine on radio show days. I'm just drinking good old New York tap water. And it's not too bad. Michael may or, not, or may or may not agree with me. Guess what? You have all earned your first break. We're going to go out for just 90 seconds and collect our thoughts. And when we come back, Michael Darvish is going to kick off 
off our roundtable. We'll try to do 25 to 30 minutes nonstop. Our topic today is how to build a marketing technology strategy. If this whole concept of putting those three words together is new to you or scary or sounds off-putting or expensive, we'll try to give you some insights on how it can be done right from the get-go. That right was used in two ways, a double entendre. We'll be right back with Michael Darvish at Bridge22. That's Bridge-22. David Rabb, our industry analyst and author, and Bernard Chung at SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and you're listening to episode number six of our series called The Customer Edge with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. Michael, out! Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. A global revolution is taking place, shaking the very foundation upon which all enterprises are built. This revolution is led by today's digitally empowered consumers and commercial buyers. They don't see our companies through a channel-focused lens. They look for and expect one experience, irrespective of the channel. Join us to explore insights, information, and ideas from sales, customer service, and marketing experts around the globe. Let's embrace the challenge of engaging customers in this new age. The Customer Edge with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. listening to The Customer Edge with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to The Customer Edge with Game Changers. Welcome back. And speaking of our hashtag, it's hashtag SAP Radio. We have Lana Smith already tweeting, and I believe that's Margot Heiligman behind the handle at SAP CRM. And they're capturing our panelists' words of wisdom and quotes and all kinds of good things. So if you want to join us or see what's going on, join us at hashtag SAP Radio. Now we're back to the show and back to the roundtable. We're going to kick it off with Michael Darvish. And uh, Michael, let's see. First of all, why don't you just tell me, in one or two sentences what Bridge 22 is, and then we'll get started with the roundtable. What do you do? Sure. So we work specifically with CEOs and boards and management uh, teams of companies that have a terrific amount of data or, and, and want to monetize that data or, more likely, who have a lot of data and are in the data targeting and, and uh, customer analysis business. All these customers are trying to figure out how do they make a lot of money from, from the uh, sources that they've got. They, they uh, sometimes are entrepreneurial, sometimes they're bigger companies, uh, billion-dollar companies. In every case, they're trying to figure out the roadmap to get there and what I'll call the business pieces to put into place, you know, companies to buy, uh, go-to-market programs, uh, partners to have. Um, and, and particularly, they want to figure out how to get into market fast and be very entrepreneurial. So we are a hands-on, work-with-the-team consultancy that uh, is very content-savvy, thinks like general managers, um, and really helps make uh, the board happy and makes the managers uh, very successful. 
Good. Happy and successful are two words we like, especially on the customer edge with Game Changers. Okay, Michael, I'm looking at your notes you sent me before the show, and I have an interesting statement here under the topic of multi-channel data because that's really what we're addressing here. You say to understand and then lead the consumers with entertainment and products. Now, that's an interesting thought. Entertainment and products, we can see where they're going and what they're doing. So how multi-channel are the channels, and where does entertainment come in? Why don't you educate us? Go ahead, Michael. Well, the backdrop, of course, is that consumers these days are just, you know, having a great time buying all these new devices. You know, it, my kid has got two phones. He's got a tablet. He hijacks my PC. He's got another one in the house, you know, and he's only 14. And so never mind the, the game consoles. It's, this this uh, is a world where kids and people, you know, all the way to being, uh, you know, grown-ups, old people, are now having a lot of fun with these devices. And as a result, there are a ton of applications and, and, uh, and places where they are going, on webs, on apps, uh, and, and so forth. And all that stuff you can think of as channels, some combination of places they go um, to have fun or to do, do various kinds of work-related things, um, and also the, the technologies themselves. Because of this proliferation, there is a ton of opportunity for a marketer who is trying to either get his brand message out or to engage that consumer so that he can kind of work them through the buying process and get them to buy a product. There's a lot of surfing that's done still, to use an old word no one uses, and all that leaves a trail. Mm. That data is really, really valuable, and it's at, we're at a moment in time where all that data is being compiled into one place and tied effectively to one ID used to be that it was tied to, a, to one cookie, then it was tied to multiple cookies assembled together. In the, old, in the, in the analog world, it was tied to perhaps a CRM, a, a user, a consumer uh, identity. Now those worlds are, are starting to be matched together, all behind the scenes. And when you have that backbone of knowledge of who, who and where are consumers doing things, including with phones, which are very mobile and, and, uh, and kind of give a, 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 a great indication of geography and, and other location, when you pull all that information together, now you have the, the bird's eye view that, gives the mar- that allows the marketer to say, hey, you know what, rather than just give a spot touch, to any one consumer in any one place, let's kind of get a strategy here. Let's think about how to talk to these consumers in a unified way as if they, we were having a conversation with them across all these boundaries. They used to be hard boundaries. Now these boundaries are very, very soft. Some companies, like Google, for example, have um, a registered user uh, system where you've already put your name and address in, and because you've linked up all of your devices, your phones and, and, and other, other devices, they, kind, they will, behind the scenes, um, assume that they're still talking to you when you switch devices. It's very, very interesting. The first time it happened to me, I was sitting out in my driveway. I had looked up inside the house. I'd looked up where I had to go. And then I got into my car, and I was back in the car out of the driveway, and I looked at my phone, and sure enough, the same address had showed up on my phone. I thought it was a bit scary at first, and then I realized mm-hmm. that it's really Google giving me this universal touch. It's, at, after the first or second touch, it makes me feel like I'm getting a, uh, a better experience and, and, uh, and really that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be more likely to go ahead and engage in something or buy something. This is really where multi-channel is right now. Great overview. Thank you. David Robb, thoughts on this, where, Dave, where Michael has taken us? Please go. Well, I think that 
we're going to have over time people just, as Michael was saying, just getting so used to these things that they become second nature that we no longer think it's odd and, and we no longer think it's uh, think of it in terms of privacy violations. We just assume that we're sort of swimming in this sea of uh, of information, but more than information, of relationships where I'm going to wander past Starbucks and Starbucks is going to send me an email that says, David, we know you think our coffee's too bitter. Come in and try this version of our coffee. We made it just for you and you're really going to like this. That kind of thing is just going to feel natural. You know, that, that's where we're headed. We're, we're in a transition stage right now where, you know, Mike's used to drinking boxy and, and I'm used to, you know, watching TV on the VCR and, and all these ancient technologies that our kids look at us and say, gee, Dad, you know, how'd that used to work? You had a, what's this thing called a corded telephone? I've never seen one. Uh, so five, ten years from now, this is just going to be a totally different world that we're just going to assume all these things are there. And I think that's terrific. I think it's also going to be really on the up to the marketers to make that something that works well, because the ones who don't make it work well uh, will indeed end up, uh, you know, just falling by the wayside, getting fried by those lightning strikes. David, I have a fun fact about you. You sent me in your bio talking about the old meeting, the new. No, no, no aspersion intended. You say David built his first marketing database in 1979. You mean there really was a 1979? Using the mailing list function of a standalone Wang word processor. What was that? Was that an aha moment for you, David? Tell me. Well, how many, raise your hand, how many in the audience even know what a standalone word processor was? Right? Or so, and how many of them even know what a mailing list looks like nowadays? You, know, you just right. talk about a list, oh, it's an email list. What's this mail, what's this postal thing? Uh, they're just, uh, the world was such a different world then uh, that, that it's almost, you think back and you're like, really? How did that even work? And how primitive was that? So we're, we're just in a different place now. We are, David. I was standing on a, a very secure step stool, lowering or raising and then lowering a huge disk pack into a Xerox Sigma 6 CP5. That was part of my training to be a, a computer operator, but my main job was a programmer analyst, and I was punching key. I was key punching, and I carried around boxes with 2,000 cards at a time and prayed that in my high heels, which I wore to work every day, I didn't trip and spill the cards because we knew what kind of a mess that would make. So, yes, we're trading stories of antiquity. We've got freeze-dried coffee, we've got a Wangward processor, a Xerox 6 CP5, and we've got Moxie. So I'm going to bring Bernard Chung, probably the youngest one on the panel, I think, into the conversation. Bernard, do you have any old-time stories you want to share or do you want to get back to our multi-channel, omni-channel conversation? I leave that up to you. Well, uh, my story doesn't go uh, that far back, but... (laughs) You know, I think uh, definitely the time, times have changed, and um, you know, I, I my background is from uh, database marketing in financial services industries, where I used to um, run queries and generate the lists that um, David was talking about. And uh, these queries, again, you know, I was working for large banks, had um, you know, basically almost everyone in the United States in in, in the database, and would um, would crank through these queries and uh, SQL queries and, and trying to get the results mm-hmm. set. And, you know, I would, I would run it. I would um, go for, wait a few minutes, go for uh, coffee, come back. It'll be still running. <laughs> wait a couple more hours and go to lunch, come back, it'll be still running. So some, some of these queries definitely took a very long time, right? But yeah. as... Um, 
you know, as, as we were discussing, I think there's technologies today uh, that's uh, able to, uh, you know, uh, process information so much faster uh, with a lot more complicated data structures and um, data sources and be able to really facilitate the natural uh, iterative process that a, uh, a marketer or a marketing analyst would go through in, in, in trying to discover right, insights about the customers or hidden trends. And, um, you know, I think the tools and solutions that are available today uh, really make, um, you know, make uh, being able to engage customers on a real-time basis with relevant information really possible. Thank you very much. Michael Darvish, trickling back to you. Any other thoughts on the introduction of the concept of omni-channel before we move to another topic? I'm looking at David Robb's notes. Go ahead, Michael. Well, you know, I mean, I think that the, the there's there's two thoughts here. The first one is um, about about the messaging that an advertiser has really got to rethink, and then the second one is about the data and what's really going on underneath the the uh, pipes. And the, in the first case, the marketer has this huge opportunity, really, to say instead of pushing this customer. Um, uh, one, one push at a time in any general direction. Let's coordinate all these conversations. The, the, the interesting part there is that the CFO of a big advertiser at some point is going to walk across the hallway to the chief marketing officer and say, now that you're multi-channel touching uh, the consumers, do we really need to spend all this money on all these individual channels? Can we really cut it back? Can you save me half the money you're spending on media? I think that that's a really interesting question and dynamic that's going to happen in the marketplace. Very interesting. Maybe not now, but it'll probably be happening in the next, you know, year, two years, three years. I would, I would dare say that um, important companies are having the conversation with the CFO to say, please use my platform and I'll save you a lot of money. The Please. second point is that there's just so much data that's underneath the pipes that, that is necessary to make this work. Now, it is going to take a few years to get all this data uh, to the level that it needs to, but already people are tying together the data that they know in databases that are around uh, customer uh, registered users and, and CRM data sets uh, to cookies and, and, frankly, lots and lots of cookies in disparate Channels like browsers on on uh, PCs, browsers on phones, uh, uh, apps on phones, and so forth, tablets. So when you have all that data and you start tying it together, wow, you really have a picture of what these consumers are doing. And frankly, it's a very unique picture of those consumers. Even if this is anonymized data, we are at the moment in time where this stuff is compiled in a way that you pretty much have a, a, a certain idea of who these folks are and what they're doing and what they're interested in and where they are and where they're going. And I think that opens up a, a whole set of policies and questions mm-hmm. that the CMO, the chief legal officer, the CT, CIO, um, and, and frankly even the CEO, you know, wants to think about both for the advantage of the advertiser but also to protect the consumer. Thank you, Michael. David, Rob, I'm going to look, I'm looking at some of your notes. I think we're going to start talking about the word strategy. You sent me some interesting concepts. You say business strategy comes first, then marketing strategy, then marketing technology strategy, then tech requirements. And one more thing you said, strategy is all about fit, fit with the market 
fit with your resources, fit with your competitors, not just an absolute best way to do things. Very telling. David, Rob, why don't you uh, expand these for us, and then we will have Bernard and Michael chime in. Well, I think the common thread behind both of those particular notions is that we, you know, my business is helping people select technology, marketing technology. That's what we do. And so often the, the question starts out, oh, what's the best tool? And it's like, well, what's the best car? You know, are you in the Indy 500? Or are you hauling a trailer? Are you uh, going to climb a mountain? You know, there's no best. There's no best technology. There's no best car. And you really have to sit, go back and say, what am I trying to accomplish? And what marketers are trying to accomplish has to be related to what the business is trying to accomplish. And, and so everything really rolls right back to the question of business strategy, and it goes from there. And so many marketers, even senior marketers, just don't realize, they don't think that way. We talked at the top of the show about companies having everybody as a marketing strategy. Well, maybe they do, maybe they don't, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I know quite a few companies where if you ask them to articulate the marketing strategy, they wouldn't really be able to do that, and they wouldn't necessarily be able to articulate the business strategy that allegedly is driving the marketing strategy. So there's a huge amount of disconnection that we see in many, many, many organizations uh, that leads people to make decisions on the wrong uh, basis. I'll tell you quickly, there's an image that we use when we talk about this of somebody who's rented one of these huge, you know, 30-foot-long stretch limos, and he's tried to Mm -hmm. turn a hill in San Francisco, and the thing couldn't get down the hill because it got hung up on a a hump where the, uh, the, the, the hill is too big. And well, that guy had a strategy, which was to get a cool stretch limo and have a great time, but he didn't really understand what his true requirements were, which was to get something that had the clearance to get over that hump. So he, he made a choice, and he probably had all kinds of strategies, but he wasn't really thinking about and prioritizing uh, effectively. And that's what a lot of marketers do. They buy the cool stretch limo, and they don't realize that it's not going to make the turn that they need to make. Very interesting, getting caught up somewhere along the way. They certainly didn't think the end-to-end experience through the best way they could. Thank you. Great example. Bernard Chung, you want to chime in? Anything you want to add to what David just said? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, yeah, I think David's right. And the only thing I would add is that marketing strategy should be discussed um, today at, at, at really at the sea level. And, um you know, I think I've seen studies, you're right, that talk about whether companies do have strategies or not. That's another thing. But if, if you do and if you plan to, I think uh, it needs to involve um, buying and input from other organizations as well. Because if you, again, go, I think it all goes back to what are you trying to achieve. And, and, and in my mind, being able to connect and engage with customers today through multiple channels throughout their customer journey, if that is the goal, if, if that is the, the objective that, that you have, if you really think about all the points of customer uh, interactions that you have, it really spans uh, across the different departments and functional teams, right? So, you know, a, a person may be going to your website and talk to a salesperson, go to your store, and call your call center to return items or ask questions about, you know, how products or services really work. Uh, they may get billing and they have to pay. And so, you know, in that brief example, that's been, you know, multiple uh, organizations that marketers typically don't have direct control over. So, 
I think um, it's critical when you do develop strategies for marketing and the strategies to how to engage customers, you really need to have this conversation across the board, across uh, the organization to, to get buy-in uh, to do that. And I think, Thank you. Um, yeah, go ahead. Just to, to share some, some of the points, um, we did a recent research uh, with some um, other organizations. We found out that only 36% of marketing organizations had formal customer experience, customer engagement strategies or programs mm. in their organization. So, you know, many don't have strategies, like uh, David mentioned, um, and that's something that they, they should be uh, looking into, uh, into creating. Certainly should, and that's the point of this program, is to open their eyes and open their minds and hopefully give them some great information. Michael Darvish, you want to add to this conversation thread that David Robb started? Yeah, you know, I think it is very difficult, um, the implementation of these things, even beyond the selection. Uh, so much money is being spent, particularly on media, that gets allocated out to partners and you have a lot of parts, uh, particularly on the marketing side, who have a lot of autonomy. They're having a lot of fun. They're working in and uh, and really bringing in a lot of revenue for their customers. But I'm sorry for the for the company. But they are hesitant to think about technologies or or even processes and systems that are more centralized, because they are afraid that they're going to lose this uh, this this power. Uh, internally, and I think that that's kind of the uh, elephant in the room. And as a result, I see over and over again uh, a certain resistance. You know, the folks that are most innovative who tend to be on the marketing side in the last few years because of the access to so much of the outside um, uh, technologies. Those guys, I think, want to keep that party going. Um, internally, the, uh, there's certainly great reason for more control and more centralization, particularly when we go back to some of those issues about privacy and security and overall just strategic value of looking at certain data and, and keeping it in, in uh, you know, leveraging it across other departments in the company. I think it's across the, the enterprise. I think it's, um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a silent battle that's going on internally in these companies, and it takes real good change agent leadership by, frankly, the CEO level and the C-suite level um, in order to get that done. Thank you, Michael. I'm looking at Bernard Chung's notes you sent me before the show, Bernard. You have so many wonderful statistics in here. I'm not sure where we want to start, but I'm just going to venture into one of your talking points, and I'm going to have you throw some numbers at us because I'd like the audience and the other panelists to hear this. You say the current status in marketing organizations today, it's falling short, although Almost all marketers realize the need to create a holistic customer engagement strategy. Many fall short. And then later on in your notes, you say some reasons for this shortfall. So why don't you pick where you think would be the most salient statistics, Bernard, and just toss some over the fence at us, and then we'll respond. Go ahead. Yeah, in the latest research that we've, uh, we worked on, we, we surveyed uh, 300 marketing executives in North America, and and we found some interesting um, uh, results. Um, you know, we, we asked about this topic of customer engagement and how, how they stack up in terms of some of the key capabilities. And eight, only 8% um, said that they have a well-defined, fully evolved system for understanding and meeting the customer needs. While they, they admitted that the ability to listen and, and to, to react to customer needs is important, but um, but they also admitted that only eight percent 
other responders said that they're they're able to to do this, and only eleven percent said that they're highly satisfied with their ability to um, you know listen and respond to customers, and only twenty four percent have a comprehensive view of customer engagements and interactions across the stages um, of a customer lifecycle. And uh, one last uh, statistic here, 25% have conducted, only 25% uh, have conducted a customer experience management audit across all the touch points, life stages, and operational areas. So I, I think, uh, you know, from, from the studies, I think uh, many people understand the value of being able to uh, do what Mike and, and, and David has uh, uh, discussing um, across multiple channels, but many are struggling to to get there. But the good news we found is that um, you know they're they've been working on it. Um, mm-hmm. I think uh, in 2014, we found that 18 percent of the marketing budget uh, overall has been spent to support and improve customer experience. And and the uh, the highest the highest. Uh, marketing technology investment in 2014 is in is in customer experience. You know, leveraging different, you know, trying to get uh, tools and solutions that will help improve the end customer uh, experience with their organization. Followed by marketing operations and analytics. And customer experience uh, is a top uh, innovation project for 2015, based on the survey that we did. So, I think. Um, you know, then the bottom line is, I feel many organizations aren't there yet, uh, but they're they realize the value of it and they're working on it. Thank you, Bernard. I'm going to throw in a couple more numbers before we get responses from Michael and David. Uh, you say that today's marketer's profile is that half. I don't know whether this is the glass half full or half empty. You decide. Half of business leaders are not confident in their marketer's ability to engage and drive impact with today's customers. Forty five percent. Or 51% are confident. So it's, it's around that halfway point. But the needed marketing skill sets are very broad. This is where I'd like to focus, Bernard. We'll get a quick response from you and then Michael and David. You say the needed marketing skill sets include 35% need commercial insights, 23% need data interpretation and analytics, that word that keeps popping up, 19% need digital media understanding and application, and 19% Wow, I don't know if this is good or bad. Need a cus- better customer understanding. So, are these from the same study, Bernard? No, this is uh, from a different study uh, from a customer executive board. Mm-hmm. They, they recently presented their their recent research and, and findings on on you know where marketers are and and like you said, I think uh, they said two thirds. It was an interesting fact to me. Two thirds of marketing professionals today don't really have a formal marketing background. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, I was kind of interesting, and no wonder half of the business leaders looking at their marketing department feel that you know they're not quite sure. They don't have the confidence in their ability to really do proper marketing and drive demand and drive growth. And two, and they said the two thirds of the marketers they themselves they said, "Hey, we need training. We need uh, you know." And this is both top and uh, low perform low performers alike. They all said two thirds of them. They said, um, "Yeah, we need we need we need training." And the areas that they identify that requires the most, uh, um, you know, skills uh, skills to be developed are the ones that you mentioned around getting insights, data interpretation, analytics, uh, understanding digital technology, 
and understanding the customers better. Thank you very much. Michael Darvish, thoughts on all these numbers we threw at you? Any, any thoughts, anything stand out in particular you'd like to discuss? I don't think that means that CEOs don't have confidence in their staffs. I think okay. what it means is two things. One is this is a really new space. It's only been around for the last two or three years in any kind of uh, accelerated way at scale. Before that, you know, really it was little bits of small, very small companies going in and talking to companies, advertisers, and saying, hey, I've got this thing. It, it's just ten of us in a back room. Would you like to try it? So I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that it's new. At the same time, it's a really tough marketplace out there. You know, some companies, which are very big, have, uh, in, particularly in retail, but also in, in uh, branding-oriented um, uh, marketing, um, and, in, and, uh, and, and the apparatus in, uh, in between that, that, that serve that, these guys are really very, very good at building revenues. And I think a lot of advertisers feel that they are under pressure, that they have to perform. And so they see these new, uh, these new technologies, um, they see these new channels and, and marketing, and they are looking for ways to catch up. And so I think that those numbers are really saying CEOs are, are, and, and C-teams are aware. Um, it's important to them. Uh, they have an urgency. They're probably putting budgets behind it. Um, and that they are, you know, aspirational quickly to, to uh, get their share of, uh, of increased revenues and, and performance um, by using these tools and technologies. Thank you, Michael. Interesting. David, Rob, thoughts? Well, I, I think that, you know, marketers are uh, somewhat subject to fashion, and mm-hmm. customer, in, customer experience is the current fashion for talking about what marketers always worried about, which was how you deal with, with your customers, with the people who buy your products, and how you get them to buy more products. Uh, so, so something has changed. The amount of data out there has definitely changed. Uh, the notion that there's an understanding, really, that the customer is an experience is not just the advertising. It's, it's the entire use of the product, everything from when you first become aware to when you use it and when you discard it and when you talk about it to other people and become an advocate and, and all that. So there's a broader... Uh, a broader range of interactions that marketers care about because they didn't used to care about much other than advertising, depending, of course, on the industry. So that has changed dramatically and fundamentally the way marketers do their business. And uh, that has caused them, as Michael just said, to really need a number of skills that they weren't classically trained in. You know, brand is great and brand is important, but there's a lot more to marketing than brand, and there's a lot more today to marketing than there was, uh, you know, 10, 20, 30 years ago. And I think we're all kind of catching up with that. Good point. I'm going to ask a quick question to the panel before we slide right into our predictions round because we've only got seven minutes left till the end of the show. Uh, David, Rob, I have you one and I ask you, is this, is this change, this shift into marketing, getting it and embracing it and understanding they need a technology strategy, is this going to require an influx of new people, younger people? Hate to use that word, you know that. Uh, or is it something that today's CMOs and CEOs, they get and they're prepared to put muscle behind this strategy? Need quickly answer from you and then Bernard and Michael. Go ahead, David. I don't think it has to do with age, Bonnie. It has to do with people being open to what's going on around them and reacting. And, you know, marketers have always had to listen to the marketplace, and they're still doing that. So I think marketers of all ages are going to be able to. Some will, I should say. And there are other marketers of all ages who won't be able to. (laughs) Thank you. Bernard, any thoughts on this quickly? 
Yeah, I agree. I don't think age has much to do with it, but it does. Uh, I think the importance is understanding of your your audience, right? So mm-hmm. I, I would argue if you are the target audience, if you represent the target audience, like i.e. younger generation, if that's your target audience and you are a younger generation, you just have a deeper understanding of uh, uh, the audience because you, you are one of the examples of the audience, right? So... Um, yes. And if you're able to uh, understand the channels, the the context, the uh, you know cultural, um, you know societal relevant themes or language, you know I have a teenage son too, and you know if I read his emails or texts, I have absolutely no idea what they're talking about. <laughs> Good luck, you know, Dad. You know, and there's certain, I'm sure I can learn, but if you are of that audience, my my bottom line is that you're better better able to connect. Uh, with them as a marketer as well. That's a great point. I think that's where I was going with it. I didn't mean to bring up the old A word, the age, the old A word. Michael Darvish, I, I'm going to give you, I tell you what, I'm going to give you a minute and a half to answer this question and give me your predictions because we're running really short on time. So, Michael, go ahead. Uh, to answer the question, I think it depends, as Dave said earlier, I think it depends on the kind of company and the situation. If it's an early stage company, you really want a lot of young people in there Number one, because culturally the company is unified, um, as well as the fact that these guys are tireless. They just work, you know, 60, 70-hour days. <laughs> and old, old folks can't. We only work 12-hour days. Oh, my God. Now you're telling me? Oh, my goodness. I can yeah. go to sleep before 1 o'clock in the morning tonight. Thank you, Michael. Go no ahead. Prediction. days for you. Go back Thank to you, dear. Prediction. Then, predictions now. Uh, go ahead. Predictions. Uh, my prediction is that uh, multi-channel marketing and marketing as a whole is going to rapidly consolidate around, um, you know, 30 players in the marketplace over the next 10 years and that a lot of the middle players and smaller players are going to find themselves falling further and further behind. Thank you. One minute, David, Rob, predictions. How far ahead can you see and what do you see? One minute on the clock, go. Let me say that I, I would predict the number of screens that people communicate through will go down. Okay, I think we are in this crazy sort of transitional period where we're carrying a cell phone and a Kindle and a laptop and an iPad and a yada, 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 and that's not going to last. We just, we're all going to kind of like be attracted to a magnet someplace and not be able to move at some point because we're carrying so much <laughs> iron. All right. We are going to get to the point where we're going to have one device which personally I think is going to be like a little cell phone, a little uh, thing on my wrist that has a portable screen or a fold-out screen and a fold-out keyboard, and sometimes it'll fold out to 2 inches and sometimes it'll fold out to 10 inches, whatever it needs to be. But we're not going to have all these different devices in the future, and that's going to make marketing easier. It sure will. We'll be able to have, we'll have a smaller number of ways to communicate with people, and those devices will have a richer view of the people, more complete view on the single device, and that's actually going to make things better. So there is hope. So, David, there is hope. Thank you for that. That's interesting that we're telling them now to get a marketing digital strategy, a technology strategy to cope with all of these channels on which consumers are demanding attention and demanding a great experience. And now you're saying that there will be a compression of the number of devices perhaps rolled into one where marketers will be able to say, thank goodness, that's the only place we need to find them. Interesting. Bernard Chung, your predictions. One minute. Go. I think marketers will continue to get better in delivering what I what I call the four four attributes of great customer engagement. One is uh, convenience. I think they're going to continue to make things a lot more convenient 
for their customers to interact and engage with their organization. I think um, they're continuing to become more responsive to the needs and requests that customers will have. Um, you know, whether they're asking for information about products or have issues with products or services that they might have. Um, and, and third, I, I think uh, organization will be more um, reliable from a customer's perspective. They would uh, continue to develop better products and services and deliver on the promises of the brand that uh, they, they market and advertise. And lastly, I think they will continue to get more um, more relevant in the conversation and the content that they they will um, engage with the target audiences. So, I think customers will find that it's it's more of a pleasure to a point where they don't recognize it's actually a marketing or sales pitch. It's actually they they read or see or are exposed to value that they you know content and information that they value. Andy, Thank Andy, you, Bernard. Andy, I have I have to cap this. Thank you. We have convenience, no, no. responsiveness, reliability, and relevance. Love it. Thank you all. Michael Darvish, thank you so much. David Robb, thank you so much. Bernard Chung, thank you so much. See, I treat all, all my guests equally. And a shout-out to Lana Smith at SAP and Margot Heiligman for tweeting. Michael and the Business Channel team. Tomorrow, we'll cap off our week with another live edition of Future of Business with Game Changers, 10 a.m. Eastern. We'll be talking about Game On with Gamification. We have the father of gamification coming on the show. Listen in to find out who he is and hear all about him. He's the founder of Bunchball, if anybody knows that company. And let's see that we will start our week next week with Cobb. Oh, it's Thanksgiving next week. Well, we'll have a new HR Trends on Monday and then we'll have a couple of reruns. I want to wish everybody a very happy Turkey Day if you celebrate. So here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Bonnie D. Graham signing off for another live edition of the Customer Edge with Game Changers presented by S. SAP. Have a great one. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to The Customer Edge with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham on Wednesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.